The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. I'm glad you're here. It's good to be able to go to God's Word today. And so if you have your Bible, if you turn with me to the book of Ephesians, there should be a Bible in front of you there if you don't have one in the pew rack there. You can feel free to use that one. But Ephesians chapter 1 is where we'll be. We're going to look at verses 3 through 6 today, together. It's a joy to be able to go through Ephesians and see the truths of this, of this book. Last week we looked at the first two verses together and just kind of did a little introduction uh, to Ephesians, and now we get to really start getting into the meat of it. So I'm looking forward to it. When you look at this uh, part that we are in, uh, verses 3 through 14 really are a section in and of itself, and we'll take some time to go through it, but these verses, 3 through 14, actually are one sentence in the original language. Now, I don't know how you'd feel. I know how I'd feel if in English class they gave me a sentence that long and said, all right, all proper punctuation in the sentence. I've, I hated that class. I hated doing that stuff. And Imagine having a sentence that long. Now, in English, we've broke it down into many sentences and different verses, which make it easier for us to understand. But in the original, this is, this is one sentence, and it is oftentimes referred to as a prayer of Paul's or as Paul's hymn that he writes before. You remember last week, I talked about how one of the commentators said that this is, this is like doctrine put to music. And this is kind of where that comes from, because people will call this a hymn of Paul, verses 3 through 14, that he, that he shares with us here. And today what we're going to look at in, this, in our little section of this hymn or this prayer of Paul is how the Father has blessed us. And there'll be some words that are used there. We'll see that we will go over together. But it really is amazing to see and to try to understand and to grasp all that God has done for us as his children as those who can be called his children, who've been saved by his grace. It's amazing to think of all of the things that God has done. And like I said, today we're going to look at just really a few words that God has done to allow us to be his children and hopefully to see his majesty, to see his magnificence in this. And like I said, over the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to look at this section together. And so today in verses three through six really focuses in on the father, what the father has done but then in verses 7 through 10, you can kind of break it up this way. We'll see kind of what Christ has done for us, the blessings that we have in Christ. And then in verses 11 through 14, really you could break it down as the Holy Spirit, the blessings that we have through the Holy Spirit. And so we really see the, the Trinity here. The Trinity is not talked about uh, specifically. You don't see that word anywhere in Scripture. But you see the ramifications of the Trinity and the truths of the Trinity just in this little section that we'll be going through over the next uh, couple weeks together. So let's, uh, let's actually read all of it. We'll read verses 3 through 14. But like I said, today our focus will be just on 3 through 6. So follow along with me. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, 
making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. There really is so much there, and I hope that we'll be blessed by it. I hope you'll be blessed by it as we study it together. In verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There's a promise here for God's children that we've been fully blessed in Christ. And we notice that it's God the Father who does this. He is the one who blesses us. And it is that love that it's that love that the Father has for us that really drives all of this. And it really is jaw-dropping to think about what God has done and how much love that he has for us and the love that we just simply don't deserve and then the blessings that we get on top of it with all of that love. You know, it's interesting, but when you talk to people, and maybe you feel this way sometimes, I think we all do at times, but we start to think about the circumstances of the world, we start to think about the circumstances of our life, and we start to question God's love for us in the midst of it. You know, we think of the difficulties uh, that we face or whatever it might be. You know, maybe you go to the doctor and you get told something you didn't want to hear, or you go to work and you get told something you don't want to hear, all these different things that might happen in your life. And we start to look to God and we start to question the love that he has. And we say, why? You know, why are these things happening? You know, God, why, why are bad things going on with me? I, I thought that you loved me. I, I thought that you cared for me. I, I see this in scripture. It says you bless us with all these things. But I really think there's a problem with that line of thinking because we really have things backwards we really have things turned around. The real question that we need to be asking as children of God is, God, why in the world do you do anything good for me ever? Because when I read scripture, what I see about myself really quickly is that I am actually a sinner who's fallen short of the glory of God. And that even the good things that I do are filthy rags. And so there's really nothing that I can do for righteousness sake on my own. And so really when I look to God, the question that I should be asking is, God, I don't understand why I had a soft bed to sleep in last night. I don't understand why I was able to wake up and breathe this morning. God, why are you so good to me that you allow me to keep moving, that you allow me to keep living, that you allow me to keep going? I think this is the questions that we should ponder. These are the things that we really should wonder. Is God, why? Why would you love me at all? Why would you care about me at all? Because if I look at my life and I look back on it, even being a good church boy, growing up in church, for most of my life, it's been to push you away. It's been to think about myself. It's been to think about the things that I care about, the things that I want, the things that I desire. And I've asked you to fit into those things very often. So why in the world, God, would you bless me? Why would you even let my plans work sometimes? Or why would you allow these things? 
Yet often what you hear people say is complaints over the difficulties of life or these different things. And we too often push aside the things that we really deserve. So I want us to think about that as we look at this verse, because this verse tells us that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And I want us to remember this morning, if you're a child of God, if you've been saved by his grace, that it is really jaw-dropping the amount of blessings that God has poured out on us as his children. For us to be able to come here this morning and to sing praises to the Lord, this amazing thing that God allows us to do. The fact that he allows us to be a part of his family, which we'll see later. You know, allow that, the, the blessing that God gives us as a family. Many of you woke up this morning not alone, but you woke up with a family. You woke up with people who care about you, people who love you. But then being a part of God's family, you've had the privilege to come here. Even if you woke up alone or with a family, you get to come here and be a part of this family where we care about each other and we need to love each other and, right, and, and really pray for each other and be there for each other. These are all blessings of, of God that he has poured out in our life. But beyond that, beyond that scope, beyond all those material things, those physical things that we see that hopefully you're thinking about that God continues to bless us with, they're spiritual blessings that God has poured out on, out on us as his children that we just simply do not deserve. And that's what Paul goes on to talk about in the rest of those verses that we read this morning and that we're going to look at in a little more depth. But all these blessings that we are going to talk about and look at, we have to understand that these blessings are in Christ. The only way that we can have the blessings of God, the spiritual blessing of God, is, is through Christ. This is the only way that it can happen and that it can be done popular culture would say different things. They would say things like, we all worship the same God, we just need to get over it. That's, that's not true. We believe that all of these things can only be done through Christ. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, I encourage you to read that whole chapter. But in 9 verse 15, talking of Jesus, it says, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now, I could spend a whole sermon talking about this, and maybe, maybe I need to, but there was a first covenant that God established with us, with Moses, and it was the law. And we were transgressors of the law. We fall short of that law. You can try. Go ahead. I mean, it's the Ten Commandments. Read them for yourself, and I dare you to try to uh, fulfill them just for a day. You won't. And as a result, you are a transgressor of that covenant. You have fallen short of that covenant. And what we're being told there in Hebrews is that Jesus came and he paid that price for our transgressions in that covenant, which is death. And it says he is the mediator. He is the mediator of this new covenant. Why? Because he paid the price for the first one. And so now Jesus is the mediator for the second covenant, that has come, and we, through him, can have the blessings that come along with that new covenant. But it only can be done through him and through his death. Christ paid the price, catch this, to qualify us for the inheritance that's promised to him. So it can only be done through Jesus. There's, there's no other way, there's no other strategy, there's no other 
religion. There's no other practice. There's no other thing that can be done. It has to be done through Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in him. So if we're talking to our friend and we're talking about heaven and they say, do you think you're going to go to heaven one day? And you hopefully will be able to say, yes, I do. And they say, well, why? Our only answer is because of Jesus in him. That is it. They say, well, why do you go to church all the time? I mean, is is that why you go to church? Is that why you do these different things so that you can go to? No, I I can go to heaven because I'm in him. That is it. That is the only thing. There's no other thing that, that qualifies me for this. Every spiritual blessing that can be bestowed upon me has been in him. That is it. So we think about that term, every spiritual blessing. What does this mean? Well, simply, it means you have every spiritual blessing that there is on you now as a Christian because of Christ. All of them. There's none that are missing there. You actually get every single one. And as I mentioned, Paul's going to continue to discuss this of what those blessings are. And I hope that this will be refreshing for you. Because I do hear language sometimes from Christians, from good, faithful Christians, but they'd say, I'm waiting for this this spiritual blessing for God to give it to me. There's a problem with that sentence. He already has if you're his. We don't wait for it more. You know, my, my children can sit and wait for their inheritance. That's going to take me to die before they, before they get that. And so they have to sit and, and wait for that day. In Christ, I don't have to sit and wait for that day. Why? He's died for it already. All spiritual blessings are mine. I don't don't wait for them to come to me. There's not some elevation of spirituality that I have to hit and then God's like, okay, now you're ready for this spiritual blessing. Good job. It doesn't work that way. From the moment of saving grace, from the moment of justification, redemption, reconciliation, all these words we've talked about, at that very moment, every blessing is mine in him. And so Paul goes on to use some words that help us to understand what these blessings are. And I really hope that they will be a blessing for you. For those of us who've been saved by Christ, I hope they'll be refreshing to us, to remind us. For those of you today who maybe have never trusted in Christ as your Savior, I hope that God will use these words to open your eyes to the truth of the gospel, that you will see the blessings of Christ and that you will trust in him. But in verse four, it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy, blameless before him. The word that comes to mind here when we look at verse four is the word election or elected by God, chosen by God to be holy and blameless. This word election is tossed around sometimes. Oftentimes it's overlooked. Uh, Sometimes it's fought over as a doctrine, but it's not something that we can hide from because it's in scripture very clearly all over the place. In fact, I wrote just a few of them down, and so you're going to have to bear with me as I read some of them, because I want you to see that it's in there, and so we can't avoid it. In John 6, 44, it says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. That was Jesus talking. Romans 9, 16, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, 
kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In Acts chapter 16, verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers beloved by the Lord because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. 2 Timothy 1.9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. All of these verses speak of election. They all speak of God choosing. We, we see this here. It's not something that we can deny. It's not something that we can avoid. And we can try to do all sorts of theological gymnastics to make it fit something that maybe we want it to fit. But I, I don't think that that's necessary. I think really we should just read it and take it for what it is. The Bible tells us that God has chose us, those who've been saved by his grace, before the foundations of the world. I don't know why that's a curse word to some. I don't know why that's bad to some. But I know for me, that is such a blessing. It is such a wonderful thing for me to think about. That before the foundations of the world, whatever that looked like, if it even looked like anything, did, did stuff look like anything before there was light and dark? I don't know. I wasn't there. I can't grasp it. I can't fathom it. But the Bible tells me that before the foundations of the world, before there was anything, there was a plan set in place and God chose Tim to love. That's jaw-dropping to me. Because for most people in my life, as they get to know Tim, it's harder and harder to love him. He pushes them away. They start to see his faults. They start to see his problems, and they start to have an issue with Tim. But you're tell, the Bible is telling me here, and what Paul is telling me here, is that before the foundations of the world, God knowing me in my entirety, knowing every decision I would make, knowing every step, every, every factual thing there is to know about Tim, yet God would choose to love me and have a plan set in place that his son would die for me in my sin. That makes election to me a beautiful word, not a scary word, not a curse word. It's a beautiful word. And so when we, when we try to avoid this term election, when we try to, when we try to push it aside, there's, there's a couple things that, a couple problems that come up. First, we miss the majesty of God. If we take this, this election away from God, we, we miss his majesty completely. We miss his power and we miss his sovereignty over all things. And we actually then put ourselves in the driver's seat. And that's a problem because I think I'm a pretty good driver, but I don't need to be in the driver's seat of the universe or even of myself, if I'm being quite frank. I need him to be. And that's what this teaches us. And so if we take this away, we miss the majesty of God, but there's a second thing that we miss. We have to get rid of the assurance of our salvation. If we remove the fact that God has chosen me, if we remove that from the picture, 
then there is no guarantee of my salvation in the end of days because then it's on me. And if I can choose God to be safe, I can, if I can do this all on my own, then I can also on my own get rid of it. I can also on my own lose it. I can also on my own walk away from it. And so then there is no assurance. And so if we try to play this game where we say, I don't like this election thing, but I really like the assurance of salvation thing, you can't have both. You can't have it both ways. That's the problem. I have much more respect for the people who say, I don't like the election thing, therefore there can't be assurance of salvation. That makes more sense logically. That makes more sense than altogether. But, but if we take this election away, we have to understand we lose the assur- assurance of salvation. There's four great blessings from election. Uh, I get these from I was, one of the commentaries I was reading. James Boyce had these four things, and I, I liked them, so I, I was going to use them. The first blessing is it eliminates boasting. Paul will go on to say this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. I've read these many different times, but it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The beauty that we find in in election is that when I come to church and I'm telling people, hey, I've been saved by God's, God's grace, there's nowhere for me to stand on a platform to boast about that because I'm also saying, I did nothing for it. <laughs> there, there was nothing that I could do. It wasn't that God, you know, looked down into the future and said, you know what, Tim? Tim's a pretty good guy. I'd like to have him on my team. I'm going to save him. No, because I would have just been horribly filthy and worthless. I don't deserve this salvation. And the fact is, none of you do either. And so when we walk into these rooms together, walk into this room together to worship together, we have to remember, we have no boasting about us. None of us have anything to put up on the table to say, look what good I've done so that I can go to heaven. There's nothing there. We all walk into these doors, we all sit down in these pews, and we all say, look at what he has done so that I can be there. That's what we say. That's where we stand. That's why we can be united together, coming from different areas of town, having different amounts of money, having all these differences together. We can come together to sing these praises together and be united together because we're reunited in him and what he has done. And that is a great blessing that we have. It's not about boasting, which to be honest, this is the only place when the church gathers together, this is the only place in the world where we can say that. Because everywhere else we go, it is about boasting. It is about what you have done or what you can do. But what you come, when you come into here together, all that's out the window. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you can do. I don't care about any of that. I want to know, what has he done for you? Have you trusted in him for your salvation by faith? That's what it's about. That's what matters. And if you say, yes, I have trusted in him, then guess what? We are together in this. We are together in this. And so the first great blessing of this word election is it eliminates boasting. The second thing, I already talked about it with what we miss, but election gives me assurance of salvation. If it's not on me, if the Bible is telling me God chose me before the foundation of the world, then therefore I can be assured I'm his because he knows everything about me. 
I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to lay my head down at night and say, you know, God, I, I had this thought in my head and I know it was sinful. If I die tonight, am I going to hell over that? I don't have to worry about that. I'm assured my salvation is in him and in him alone and what Christ has done for me, not in what Tim has done. And God has secured that for me before the foundation of the world. The third thing, and it says this here, this is interesting. This often gets left out in this conversation. But it says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before him. Election leads to holiness. Being chosen by God leads to us being holy. Colossians chapter 1, verse 22 says, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Why? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. See, too often when you talk about this term election, one of the things that comes up is people say, if we believe in that, then I can just go do whatever I want. If God has chosen me before the foundation of the world and I say, cool, great, all right, I latch onto that. Now what you're telling me, pastor, is I can go out in the world and do anything and I'm not gonna lose my salvation. I'm not gonna, uh, God loves me, he's told me that. So it's free game. No, actually, this is telling us something very, the exact opposite. Saying what election does is election, God calls us out. Now we can go be holy and blameless because he has loved us and cared for us. And so now I have the ability to overcome sin in my life. I'm still gonna struggle with sin at times. I'm not saying perfection is what's going to happen. But I can overcome sin. I can live a life that is holy. I can do these. I can strive to do this as God molds me and makes me into the image of his son. I can become more and more like his son. But I remember again that my salvation is not based on my holiness because when God sees me, the Father sees me in Christ. He sees me in the Son. And so he sees the Son's perfection in me. So I'm saved in him. And then I desire to live holy because of this. Because of what he has done for me, I have a desire to serve him each and every day. I want to honor him. I want to obey his law. I want to do these things. And so the third thing is election leads to holiness. The fourth one might surprise some of us, but I think it's true, at least for me. This term election leads to evangelism and it promotes it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It's amazing to think that God would use me standing here in this pulpit, sharing hope truths of God's word for maybe some of you to see that truth and to repent of your sin before God and to say, I trust in Jesus for my salvation. But Paul's saying, this is the wisdom of God, that God in our folly would use our words to see people come to know him. Knowing that God has chosen, that God has before the foundation of the world made it very plain in his mind who will be his actually should enable us to have a desire to go and to preach the gospel to all the worlds and to everybody because here's just a fact of the matter. I don't know when I share the gospel who out there will say yes to this truth. I don't know who it is. 
So then I'm going to treat everybody as if it could be you. And you need to hear this. And then after I do that, after I share that good news, we let the Father sort that out. I let the Father sort that out. Who's going to be saved? Who is not going to be saved? Because that is his call, not mine. The Bible tells me that is his work, not mine. And again, if it was on Tim, I'll be honest with you, I would quit and never share the gospel with anybody because it'd be too heavy a weight for me to bear. I couldn't bear that weight to think that my words are the ones that hang on somebody's eternity. No, I couldn't do that. I wouldn't know how to respond. I wouldn't know what to say. I get nervous enough trying to coach people how to play basketball, let alone trying to tell somebody how to walk into heaven. Are you kidding me? You're telling me that that has to be on me? And for those of us who would like that way, I would say you're probably struggling with some great pride to think that you're so cunning and so, so great with your words that you can, con- you can just convince somebody to walk into paradise. No, this is a work of God. This is a work that God does. But yet, God would use us to share the gospel with people. And so this word election and this word evangelism are not two things that are butting heads. They're actually two things that melt together. And it's all that makes it, imp- makes it possible. It's the only way for it to be possible. And so we see that we need to be evangelizing even in the midst of this. Well, Paul goes on into verse 5. It says, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. I think I talked about this not too long ago, but the great spiritual blessing that we have in God is being adopted by God, being adopted by the Father into his family, being chosen by him. And again, we can stand amazed to think of the fact that God the Father would choose us to be a part of his family before time ever began. Not just a friend, not just a co-worker, but family of his. His child, whom he loves, whom he cares for, of whom we will receive an inheritance in Christ because of the love that he has for us. Knowing this truth that God has adopted us into his family is why Paul and other writers would say that we get to cry out to God as Father. You know this phrase, you've probably heard it, Abba, Father, it speaks of that. But we have this privilege because God has adopted us into his family, and we know that he cares for us because he's done this. When we learn about Jesus and we talk about Jesus, we see in Scripture that Jesus is God's only begotten Son. We see that word only, and we may think, well, then there's no way that I can be a child of his because Jesus is his only begotten son. Yet what we see here by Paul is that through that only begotten son, through faith in him, through believing in him, we then become adopted into the family and are also children of God. And so every blessing that Jesus receives from the Father, we too now receive from the Father through Christ. And we get to be in his in his family. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15 uh, through 17, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children 
Then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We adopted into this family, being able to could go to God our Father and to cry out to him as a, as a loving father, a caring father who, who cares for us and loves us and continues to pour out every spiritual blessing into our life. This is the privilege that we have. And I dare you to think about it this morning as a Christian. Try your best to grasp this truth that God, the creator of all things, everything that you see, he created all of this, all of this. And yet in the midst of his creation, before it began, God would choose you to be a part of his family. Now, part of me struggles to have you think about that because I think some of you think, of course, he chose me to be a part of his family. Who wouldn't? You think very highly of yourself, and so you have no doubt that God would choose you. You have your own problems there. I'll let you sort that out and deal with that. But I think for those who can be real about yourself for a little bit, it's amazing to think that the creator of all things, God on high, would draw us into himself and wrap his arms around us and say, you, you can call me dad. You can call me father. And this idea of adoption, they're not sure how normal it was when Paul wrote this or what really adoption looked like, but you, you can go to what it means to us today. There's a lot of kids in this world today who would love to be adopted by somebody. Their parents pushed them aside. Their parents, you know, threw them out. Uh, we met with a guy this week up in Flint, and he, he helps this ministry in Africa, and they continue to find children in ditches and on roads, little newborns, just newborns. And when they find them, they take them in and let them come into their home, you know, and they're looking for funds and these different things, and they, they adopt them into their family and care for them. And so this picture that you have, you you have this picture of this baby just, just thrown away on the street for whatever reason. Maybe mom and dad couldn't, or maybe mom couldn't afford it. And mom didn't want to see the baby die. Just like in the Bible, we see that with Hagar and Ishmael. I can't watch my baby die. I'm going to put the baby over here by the rock and get away. I can't watch my baby. Maybe that was the situation that happened. I don't know. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's, I don't want this baby. I'm going to put it here. And I don't, I don't care. Maybe that's the case. But you have this child that really is worthless, absolutely worthless, laying on the ground, going to die, can't feed itself, can't move, can't do anything. And the picture that we have in this adoption of the modern day, somebody comes in, finds the baby, there's legal things that have to go on, but there has to be somebody who will step up and say, I will adopt this child. This child will now be mine. This child can call me dad. This child now has equal rights to everything that I own. This child is mine. And the way that we do it here is they now bear our name. And so they carry then with them our name. Whatever your last name is would go on to that child if you adopted that child. And they are yours. And so if you have biological children or adopted children, in the, in the laws of the court, they're seen the exact same when you adopt them. They all have equal rights to everything. And so when you take that picture of adoption that we have today in our society, I want us to understand that we can equate that with ourselves. You are that little baby, useless, 
worthless. What can you do for God? He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's creator of all things. What can you do for him at any moment or at any second? You can do nothing. Can you help him for one second to bear the weight of the universe? No, you can't. Can you help him just for a minute to make a decision about something? No, you can't. Yet the picture that Paul gives us here is that before the foundations of the world, God saw you in that worthless state and said, but I love him, but I love her, and she is mine, and he is mine. And not only is he mine, but everything that I have is his or is hers. All things, they they inherit everything through my son that will die for them. That's the picture that we have in adoption that God has done for us. For those who've been saved by his grace, we are his. And trying to grasp that truth is difficult to grasp. It's hard for us to picture it. Paul talks about it a little later, I believe, in Ephesians chapter 3. Turn over there to Ephesians 3, look at verse 8, or we can start at 7. Remember, Paul is going to the Gentiles and he says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I think when Paul talks about that, the unsearchable riches of Christ, I think this is what he's talking about. He's talking about how God, before the foundation of the world, had chosen Gentiles to be his. There was nothing more worthless to a Jew than a Gentile. And Paul is saying, the riches of God are for you too. And he wants you to be part of his family. And the Gentiles probably would respond, but you Jews always said it was just for you. And Paul says, no, it's for you too. He's adopted you into his family. If by faith you will believe in his son, Jesus, and trust in him, you will be adopted into his family too. Well, Paul goes on to end with verse six. Why has all this happened? He has chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. In love, he has predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, You might ask the question, why? Why does all this happen? Why would God do this for me? Verse six answers that. We sang about it just a little bit ago. To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You may ask this question because this is the question that I ask. Why me? Why, Tim? There's a lot of people in this world who will die without knowing Christ. Why not them? Why me? And I don't have a good answer for that. I don't have a perfect answer for that other than I'm not God. And I feel for me to question him is wrong. I shouldn't do that. He's perfect in his sovereignty. He's perfect in all his plans. But I do know this, that one of the reasons he's done it One of the reasons he saved you, one of the reasons he saved me, the main reason is for the praise of his glorious grace, 
for his name to be exalted. Not your name, not my name. In Isaiah, and this isn't a foreign concept, this is in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 43, verses six through seven, Isaiah the prophet speaking, he says, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, catch this, whom I created for my glory, who I formed and made. If today we've been saved by God's grace here, you've been saved for his glory and for his grace. To reflect that in everything you say and everything you do and every facet of your life, every single moment in all things is to reflect his glory and his grace back up to him. Understanding I deserve no praise, I deserve no adoration. There's nothing in my life that I deserve. Every good thing has come from him. Every spiritual blessing is a result of God and his glorious grace in my life. But sadly, what we do instead is we say phrases like, see this book here? This book is a This book is a book for how to live life. That's not what this book is. When we say stuff like that, we turn this book about us. All of a sudden, we make the Bible be all about us. This this book is all about him. It's all about him. And the fact that he would save you, the fact that he would love you, the fact that he would care for you is so that you can reflect that glorious praise back to him. And let people know that it's all about him. Everything in our life, every moment of every day needs to be about God and what he has done. And that's it. There's no better way to live your life than always worshiping and praising God for what he's done. That is not a wasted life. That is the only life worth living. If you tend to find yourself living life for other means, for yourself, for other people, for your kids, for a school, for whatever, for a job, that's wasting your life. But if we've been called by God, the creator of all things, to be a part of his family, if we've been saved by his grace, then the way to live our life is to live our life glorifying him in everything we say, in everything we do. So when we love our spouse, we love our spouse to his glory and his praise. We love our children well, why? For his glory and his praise. We do well in school as kids, why? For his glory and for his praise. The way we treat our friends, the way we treat our employers, the way we walk around town, we do it to reflect his glory and his praise in all things, because I have nothing to offer anybody. But I know the one who can give them all things. And it just so happens to be my dad. And I can tell you about my dad. And I will pray that my dad will open your eyes to the truth. And that he will have you as part of his family as well. And every spiritual blessing will be yours just like it's mine. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the unsearchable riches that Paul gets to share with the Gentiles. That's the beautiful truth that I get to share with you today. And so I hope 
For those of us who've been saved by God's grace, we've been a part of this family, and I don't mean MNBC, I mean God's family. We've been a part of God's family for a long time. I hope this message is refreshing to you to hear it. Think about how much God loves you and cares for you. How special, I know this sounds weird, it feels weird for me to say it, but how special you are in the eyes of God being a part of his family. I hope it's refreshing to you. For those of you today who aren't saved by his grace, I hope it's been eye-opening to you. There's scriptures all over. We could go to them. I know in 1 Timothy. It tells us that the Father desires for all men to be saved. It's you this morning. It's you this morning. If you haven't been saved by his grace, I hope and trust that he's opened your eyes to that truth and that you would, that you would trust in Jesus and that through him, you can be a child of God. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes this morning, we're gonna do what we do every week. We always offer this time as an opportunity to respond to God's word and we close with a song. You can respond to God's word however you see fit, praying where you are. Sometimes people like to pray up here at the steps. That's up to you. But we wanna give you an opportunity to respond to his word, maybe by praising him, honoring him, Maybe it's repentance, whatever it might be. This will be your time as we sing this song. Let's pray and then we'll sing. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your majesty. Thank you for your plan. God, even though sometimes it's very hard to grasp, it's hard to understand how all these things are working together for your good and Trying to formulate it in our head can be very difficult and get a grasp on it. God, I'm just thankful for the clear truth that your word says that before time ever began, before the foundation of the world, your word tells me that you, you chose me. I don't say that as a badge to wear because I've done something good because that's not the case. It's something I don't deserve. But that's what grace is. It's an undeserving gift. And so, God, I thank you for that grace. God, for those of us who've been saved by that grace, help us to never take it for granted. Help us to reflect on it often, every day. Help us to live our lives in light of it. Help us to give you praise and glory in everything, in all things, all the time. To be faithful to that. Keep us from selfish ambition. Keep us from those things of the world that can stain us. God, we want to be holy and blameless in you. But God, you know we struggle with that. So guide us and direct us in those things. God, we thank you this morning that we can come to you as a father who loves us and cares for us. God, I pray for those here this morning who do not know you. God, I pray that they would trust in Christ with everything, that they'd Lay aside all those other things that you would break those chains and those snares, that you would open their eyes to the truth and to the fact that the only reason we can choose you is because you first chose us. God, we could never love you without you loving us first. And I'm thankful to see this morning in this passage that you have. And so God, we rest on that today. God, as we sing this last song, Pray that it be glorifying to you. And God, as people respond to your word, help us to do that faithfully, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 
You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.